Better Call Saul season one, episode six is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. And now here are the two guys that are the masters of the Juan Valdez pump and dump, bump and dump. It's Mike Bloom and Antonio Mazzara. Mike, how you doing, man? Lawyer. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm lawyer. That's all you're going to say? You Marshawn Lynch? <laughs> lawyer. Yeah, exactly. I, I, my uh, my jersey's in the other room, but uh, you're the lawyer. So technically I can I can we can free ball it here. Hmm, I'm not sure about free balling. Anyway, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna free ball it here tonight on post show recaps, whatever that means by uh, by Mike Bloom's definition. And we're here. Rob Sesternino, our normal host of the show, is in transit. He's in the air tonight. Maybe he's going from Philadelphia to Albuquerque. Mike, who knows? He might have to take care, take care of some business, or he already or he just took care of some business and needs to fly over now. Listen, we we don't talk about that. If he, if he's flying to upstate New York, I don't want to hear about it. If if we find uh, the corpses of the serial podcasters in an alley in L.A., we know what happened. <laughs> oh man, I wish I had the serial music to cue up right now. <laughs> yeah, Rob is uh, Rob is in transit to New York City, and so Mike is is kind enough to jump in and and join us. Uh, no, for you, those of you who are tweeting or for those of you in the chat room who, who did not realize this rob is not giving up on saul he's just uh, not available tonight so uh we're we're coming to you live from my friend's kitchen uh and we're we're talking some better call saul tonight mike first of all what are your thoughts on better call saul in general as a series before we get to tonight's episode have you been satisfied so far so it's interesting and i i believe i brought this up in a question to you guys last week actually that uh, it's it's I wouldn't call it tonally bipolar specifically so much as I would say that there's there's a lot going on. It's a mixed bag. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the show wants to be as of yet. You know, we we have some procedural stuff mixed in there. We have some comedy stuff mixed in there. Uh, tonight was very reminiscent of a Breaking Bad episode as well. And I think they're trying to kind of crawl out from under the shadow of Breaking Bad while at the same time honoring it. That being said, I'm still enjoying the ride. It's sort of, but it's sort of like a ride that's being put together hastily as you're speeding along the track. Um, that's the best kind of ride because you never know where it's going to end up. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, I, if you took a picture of me at this point in the ride, I'd have a big smile on my face. I thought this was uh, a really outstanding episode, definitely a break in form, which is interesting for a show like this that has so many different forms that they decided to kind of make a completely different episode in, in both structure and character focus, considering it's called Better Call Saul. Um, I, that being said, I loved it. And I'm wondering if they're going to use this device going forward a little bit more. Yeah, I am too. And Mike and I are certainly curious what you guys think, you guys that are listening out there. You can always subscribe to our feed at postshowrecaps.com slash BCS iTunes. If you haven't done that yet, it really helps us expand our conversation, engage new listeners, uh, it helps move us up the charts. So do that. We also are really thankful for everybody in the chat room. Shout out to our regulars in there. Uh, we definitely entertaining your questions throughout the night. And of course, you can always tweet us with the hashtag PSRecaps. Uh, so we've got a lot of questions that we'll get to tonight that use that hashtag. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, you can always tweet at Mike. He's at a Mike Bloom type and I'm at AC Mazzaro. Or you can just tweet, uh, like I said, using the hashtag PS recaps and we'll get into it. So, Mike, I think you make a very good point about the tonal issues of the show. I wouldn't necessarily call them issues. I just think that uh, I mean, this is a great episode, but I think this is I think a lot of us are saying this is a great episode in part because it was more of a piece with Breaking Bad and less of the uh, Saul Goodman here was the comic relief. He wasn't the main character. This is almost the same kind of role he played in Breaking Bad where he pops in so far. And we're getting a lot of people, Jason Burning, Tim LaMaster, uh, Chelsea in the chat room saying a great episode, best episode of the show so far. So everybody seems to be thinking that, but it's it's certainly interesting 
that the best episode of the show so far is the one that's most like the show that the show is based on. Yeah, it's sort of like saying, you know, I don't want to connect, make too many Lost connections right now, but, you know, you and I are both huge Lost fans. It's kind of like when we were doing our rankings of the episodes with Josh Wiggler and AJ Mass, how we, we were debating between, like, the constant and through the looking glass as the number one episode. And we said, well, the, the constant is an amazing episode of television, but is it does it describe Lost? And I, I guess I would kind of make the same comparison here. This is, this is a, a fantastic episode. That scene with Mike, we're going to dive into, but Oh my goodness, Jonathan Banks and the writing, it was just sublime. That being said, can we look upon this episode and say this is the tone that Better Call Saul is going after? I wouldn't necessarily say that. However, still a great episode of television. Yeah, it's almost like you have to keep an episode like this sort of in your pocket because you can't go out, especially at the beginning of the show, where you're establishing new characters and you're using a familiar setting, but in a different time. You can't go out and put this episode up every week. And I think that a lot of people, they think Breaking Bad season one, maybe the worst season of Breaking Bad. There's a lot of establishing going on. You're learning more about Walter White, his family, uh, what his character types are, what, what his motivations are, the kind of guy that he is. And so I do think that... See, the first seasons of television in general uh, come out looking to establish things rather than really come out and, and, and deliver best episode after best episode. So you can't really have this episode every week, but I tell you, there are very few shows on television that have this bullet in their 38 special. Like there are very few TV shows that can deliver an episode of this caliber. So whether or not better call Saul delivers it every week or not, it's certainly a cut above because it can deliver it at all. So I'm intrigued. Um, I guess speaking in general blanket statements here, what what were your thoughts about this kind of flashback and forth format? I think we only saw it twice, but it was interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of Better Call Saul stings th this season slash series, I guess, have have had some sort of flashback, whether it be Saul or a flash forward in one case with Gene, and then back to our normal real our normal timeline for the rest of the show. This one had a jump at, jump at the very end to when Mike does indeed kill the two cops. Uh, was this a format? Again, I'll, I'll make the comparison to Lost in terms of it was very much jumping back and forth between the two. Were you a were you a fan of that? Would you like to see that device more, or did you did you did you say all right, let's let's stick with our with our Jimmy McGill flashbacks and 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 stick with what we're good with? Yeah, Ethan Lyons in the chat room says the constant, the constant. So yeah. we're not going to talk about Lost this entire podcast. I swear, I'm going to hold. Darn you. it! <laughs> but uh, but yeah, these sorts of flash words. I'd like to sort this all out. I'm sure. Like uh, there are a few people like me who had to really kind of pay close attention here to what's going on. So let's talk about kind of flashing back to the last episode of Better Call Saul. The very end, we see Mike sort of pass by this this uh, actress who I believe is Carrie Condon is her name. Uh, she was on Rome and Luck HBO shows, as I mentioned last week. She now pops up as what we know as Stacy, which is uh, Mike's daughter-in-law. Mm -hmm. And in, in last week's episode, in the main timeline of Better Call Saul, they drove past each other and he was kind of sitting on her house and she saw him and they just exchanged a look. Is that right? Yep, that's right. I think it was okay. it was just a very, you know, he was he looked a little forlorn, but in Mike's stone faced way. And she did not look happy whatsoever. And it was a very they I think they purposely slowed down the shot because I think in real life it was like a split second look and then they were gone in different directions. But what's happening in this episode then, subsequent to that, is the police show up at Mike's house in last episode, and he says, you're a long way. They say, so are you. Can we talk? And they bring Mike in, uh, and Mike says, lawyer. He gives it the Marshawn Lynch treatment, as we were talking about. I want that as my text alert, by the way. Whenever I text any of you who have my phone number, uh, just please get that sound clip and just use that, lawyer. 
lawyer. Lawyer. Yeah. Just, and, his, and his gravelly voice. Lawyer. 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 Yeah, I want that. I, I mean, that would be great. So, yeah. So that's the prime timeline that we're in. That's the current timeline of Better Call Saul. When Jimmy McGill walks in, he's got his Matlock suit on. They're, they're busting balls, making fun of him, telling him he looks like Matlock. He's a young Paul Newman. He says, this is the prime timeline of Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. So during that that scene, then kind of uh, Jimmy and, and the lawyers or Jimmy and, and the cops are going back and forth. He does the bump and, and dump kind of coffee thing, gets the notebook. Mike figures out what's in the notebook. And, and what I'm wondering is, when does the scene where he comes clean to Stacy occur? Does it occur after that in, in actual time or has it occurred in the past? Yeah, that's a really good question. I it's it's I think you could make a case both ways because I think if if it happened before this current timeline, then that look between them makes so much more sense in terms of I think uh Stacy talked about in the flashback a little bit that, you know, Maddie was was kind of, you know, crying out to you in the middle of the night or he was talking about you. So she she might think there's some inherent connection between the two of them to begin with in terms of Maddie's death. But I don't know if that would constitute the dirty look that she gave. Um, yeah, I, I don't either. And so my speculation is wondering whether uh, we're going to see more that happens between Mike and Stacy after this. And that actually that look was from from some other time. But I'm trying to follow in a timeline where where this occurs. And, I, and it's just it's really sort of confusing. So I think it's sorted out. <laughs> Chelsea says it's all in the past in the chat room. Well, yeah, of course, it's 2002. <laughs> but I think the point maybe being is that all of the confession and everything is in the past, but we know that the stuff with the notebook at least uh, and, and the cops kind of sitting on Mike and then Mike calling Jimmy uh, that's in the present, that's in the present of the show. And, and so the stuff with the the train station, when he first shows up and he has the, uh, he has the, the bloody wound that's in the past. That's when he first shows up to Albuquerque. And so the first scenes with, with him and Kaylee, when he, when Stacy brings him to the house and he's pushing her on the swing and all that, which by the way, very reminiscent of the last time you ever saw her uh, at the swing set. That was a swing yep. set. It was always magical and breaking bad for Mike and Kaylee. So that, uh, that's all in, in the very past when Mike first shows up to Albuquerque. Uh, and then after that, you know, the cops later show up and something happens between the two of them because she seems to get some real closure out of his fantastic monologue uh, where he yeah. says, this is what happened. He feels bad. She comes over and sits right next to him. I don't think that after that monologue, they get to a place where she's upset with him like that, that would generate that look. So I really don't know. We're going to have to put a pin in this and really just kind of, as we watch future episodes of Better Call Saul, realize that there may be some timeline issues in play there and it may not be 100% clear. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to relate it too much again to shows extraneous to this, but Once Upon a Time ends up doing a very similar thing where they use the flashback system as well, and they'll be like, okay, here are some flashbacks, and then in season two, they'll say, well, here are those flashbacks that occurred between those flashbacks. So I think the while the flashback device is awesome, especially for a prequel like this, where you're able to really go back and, as you guys joked about before, uh, see what Jimmy McGill looked like in the womb, uh, to uh, you know, as an example, uh, it, when you start to to work with that though and you say oh well now we have all these timelines to fill in the blanks that's when things get confusing and that's when we have to create a like a chronological series of all the flashbacks to understand what's been going on yeah you almost need that so i think we're just going to put a pin in this and i'd like to flag it in, in for the listeners and for everybody that's watching and participating i think we should just try to keep it in mind as we go forward 
to say exactly where it would go. Because, yeah, Susan Appleby points out like she wouldn't see him like that, that at the time, like that there's something that happens between the two of them where it later becomes a problem. So they do fall apart. Um, And but but again, Blue Bear points out in the chat room that Mike's confession at the end was after the daughter in law called the cops. And I think that's right. So what I'm wondering mm-hmm. is, is if that car scene, which happens in the prime timeline, uh, I think uh, I think we follow him in a through line of better call. I, I just I'm, I'm still confused by why she gives him that weird look in the car. Yeah. I, then we'll have to just we'll just have to track that. Yeah, I'm, I, I really wonder if it does connect to what she what the, the first conversation they had at her house when he first got to Albuquerque about, you know, her kind of suspecting that he had something to do with it and him kind of vehemently refusing again in his mic manner which is like you know he's usually at a five and he was at a six for that conversation i think that's enough to kind of jar something out of her and you know even the look that she was giving him as he was kind of standing on the curb outside the house might speak volumes i don't know if it if it necessarily constitutes that that dirty look that she gave him we're probably making too much out of this (laughs) two second shot but you know we're this is what we're here to do we're here to hyper analyze this show so maybe there wasn't there maybe there's another falling out that will come up in another flash yeah, we'll just have to look and, and see if something comes up of, or comes out of that or not. But it's a little it's a little bit out of place. And uh, I think last week there was the reason I bring it up is there was a ton of speculation about who she was and and where that all played out. And now that we know this in this episode, we didn't really end up at a place where she would be that upset with him. So it's not really it's not really 100 percent clear how long Mike's even been in Albuquerque. Right. Yeah. Like we don't really know. Uh, how long he's he's been there or how much time has passed. And I think that one of the one of the issues with that 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 I have is did they uh, what did they what did they do with this? Did they do a modern family Lily thing with Kaylee? Like how old is is Kaylee Ermin Trout in the past when Mike first shows up? She she seems to be about the same age she is in Breaking Bad. Honestly, it's tough to tell because they neglected to do anything with Jonathan Banks to 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 make him youthful or anything. No, they like didn't. That. Did they? they? They didn't give They're, him like a, like a different head of hair or maybe like a jaunty cravat or something that made him. I like, wanted to, I wanted to have a big afro when he came to Albuquerque <laughs> and stepped off the like train. Norberg. Yeah, exactly. And then it just cuts to a scene of him shaving the afro off as he after he does that scene with Stacy. Yeah, it's interest. It's interesting. I'm not exactly sure what the timeline is either. I guess. Well, to the fact that they didn't really age him, that this is fairly recent to what's been going to, to the modern plot, but I could be wrong. Yeah. If you guys have any ideas or thoughts, definitely hit us up in the chat room, post a comment on the show page or tweet at us and tell us how stupid we are. But it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, that, that dirty look in, in kind of where this all plays out. We need a, we need somebody to draw the lines through and through here, but mm-hmm. I, I want to get into some of the, the kind of granular stuff in this episode, because there was so much, good stuff in this episode uh, and so many kind of great callbacks, both to Breaking Bad and what we know about Mike from Breaking Bad, as well as sort of inside jokes in this episode. So, Mike, I'd like to know from you uh, kind of what do you think about about his call to Jimmy? Do you think that he really just called him to to know that uh, that Jimmy would spill that coffee? I mean, is that really the only reason that he called him because he knew he would do it for him? I I'm leaning towards yes right now, but it's specifically after watching that latter flashback scenes where he was so I'm going to make a lot of comparisons between him and Walter White in this episode, because between the relationship between him and Maddie and 
most importantly, how meticulous he was in carrying out that plan from, you know, using that string to open the door, to plant the gun, to make sure he showed those two cops that he was drunk enough so they would pull him over so that they knew what they would have to do. Like he predicted every single move that they would make. And I feel like Mike is a, is a brilliant person for that reason. And I feel like that's exactly what he did here. He knew the exact steps he had to take in order to get what he wanted. And he was again, correct in that assumption. Yeah. And, and I think that, uh, I think that he knew that, that Saul Odom won, right. Or that Jimmy Odom won. And I think that, uh, I think that that's a big deal. I mean, I think that that's, that's something that, uh, that he, you know, when he had to kind of call a Hail Mary, that was an easy one to call because this is a guy who owed him one. Yeah. Uh, and, and I will, I will point out that as we go into the, the breaking bad timeline, uh, one of the things that was said by Hank, when Hank was interrogating uh, Mike in the fifth season, the second episode, Hank says to Mike, sort of like, we know that you were a cop in Philly and we know that it ended in some sort of like, uh, forget what he says. I think he says something like it ended in some, you know, explosive or controversial ways or something like that. And so I, I do wonder how much the book is out on Mike. Like maybe it's something they can't prove, but they are pretty sure about it. And they're coming there to investigate him at this time and they never really make it stick, but they're always pretty sure that he did it. So I don't know. My, my experience in TV shows is that if you kill a police officer, that's a major deal. And that's not something that usually goes by too lightly. Yeah, even if it's by another police officer, it's 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 not something that people kind of wipe their hands with and, and go away, even though there might not be any circumstantial evidence against Mike. I feel like there's still going to be a stigma attached to him, you know? Yeah, I do. And, and I think that he's done being a police officer for various reasons. And I think that a lot of the various reasons come out in this episode so well. Uh, because because Jonathan Banks just crushes it and knocks it out of the park. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something that uh, is difficult to figure out uh, exactly where Mike kind of drew the line because he he was a bad cop. He admits it. So he, he, he admits to kind of playing the game. And at some point, his son didn't want that. Uh, and Mike sort of pushed back at him, mainly out of love for his son, it sounds like. Like, I yeah. I don't want you to jeopardize your life. I, I want you to recognize that this is the way the game is played. If you play it differently, you're in a really bad spot. And and Mike kind of revealed his secret about being dirty. And, and it broke it broke Maddie. It broke his I broke my boy, Mike says. And so maybe that's at the point when when Mike was done, when when he had to really come come clean about being dirty uh, to his own son. But uh, but at some point he was really, really dirty um, and maybe not like the, the dirtiest, but dirty enough that he felt bad about it. He, he kind of describes it. What is like um, it's like killing Caesar. You know, yeah, like everyone's everyone's a little guilty. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. There's a really interesting moment, by the way, as he's he's walking into the house, delivering that monologue about everybody being a little guilty and killing Caesar. If you freeze frame on the house as he's walking in, it is definitely three crosses on the windows. And I don't think that's unintentional. Uh, I don't know what the, the symbolism of that is or the meaning of that is. But uh, he's talking about this Julius Caesar thing and everybody being a little guilty. And we have a three cross set up on the window. So there's just so much like that going on in this episode. Another point in the episode, they're playing 38 special in the bar when Mike kind of sees the cops on the night they die. Sure as you're born, 38 special is the caliber of, of weapon that Mike uses to kill them. Mm-hmm. So that's gotta, it's crazy. You got to love these episode titles as well. I think you correctly uh, assumed a few weeks ago that uh, nearly all these episode titles end in O. Uh, last week, I think, was supposed to be Jello, but they changed it to Alpine Shepherd Boy probably because of uh, copyright laws. But uh, 5 O is 
is always fun. Uh, at first, I was a little confused by the title, obviously, because it's not the fifth episode. But, you know, it's it's all about the cops. And again, not to talk too much about extraneous things, but uh, as you know, Antonio, I have been binge watching The Wire for the first time. And it's uh, there, there are a lot of similarities in terms of uh, the idea that cops are supposed to to represent the staunch morality of the world and that like they are the enforcers of the law to make sure that evil people are punished and good people are rewarded. But it's sort of like, you know, who watches the watchmen? You know, who who is looking after these almighty, powerful police? And as you can see, um, it gives the propensity for people to break bad in their own sort of ways. And I, I loved watching Mike kind of come to terms with him breaking bad as well. It's not as it's the complete opposite of what we saw Walter White do in the in the series finale when he said, you know, I, I did it for me and it felt good. This is Mike saying like me doing this kind of broke me and involving my family in this broke me. So it's, it's, I love, you know, they, they're not just, they don't, they're not just bald hairstyle lookalikes. The, the, the way these two people are characterized at the moment is so yin and yang. It's, it's really fantastic to think about. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, another thing that, that kind of pops into play is the vulnerability that Jonathan Banks played in this episode and showed. He's so anti-Mike from what we know from Breaking Bad that it, it not only was it a great performance, but it really stood out because this is Mike, a character who 10 years from now we know a ton about and we see being like Batman and being so hard and so stone and ice and cold. And here he is weeping and in his daughter-in-law's room kind of saying, I broke my boy. Uh, and so that's that's really kind of uh, that you don't get to play what I mean, this is the, the advantage of having a show that's a prequel or a sequel. It's trading a lot on what we already know about these characters. In this case, it's also trading on what we don't know about these characters, because we never knew Mike's backstory. We knew he had Kaylee. We knew he had left Philadelphia in some kind of bad situation. Uh, but we never really knew what the deal was. So to give us this episode it is a sort of special thing that Better Call Saul can do. And like I said, I don't think they can go to the well too often on this sort of thing. But man, the times they do. This is this is really good stuff. Uh, I'm wondering, speaking of kind of going to the well, I kind of want to cover a few of these other Breaking Bad references in this episode yeah. just over, overall. So it starts right away, right? As, as we're rolling through the desert on that train, uh, I don't know. Did you think right away, like, oh, my gosh, this is like the Drew Sharp thing. Uh, this is a bad deal when we've got trains rolling through Albuquerque. Uh, I, I had a little bit of an inkling of that, though. I'm I'm trying purposely to tune out Breaking Bad references because I don't I don't want to, like, make a mountain out of a molehill, if you will, and be like, ah, see, that car rolled into that parking lot, just like that car rolled into the parking lot in one minute. Breaking Bad. You know, I don't, I don't want to to extrapolate things where they aren't there i i think you were talking about this on twitter i was pulled more into the idea of like a western movie you yeah, know I mean, yeah i definitely felt that too i think that like the big the big hero who's going to save the town shows up on the train and obviously that these are much different circumstances for mike but i really like that i really like that imagery as well but i think uh zach brooks actually pointed made a brilliant observation with us as the episode went along that you know they, this seems to these there were quite a few drew sharp references uh throughout this episode which was really really interesting yeah the bartender mentions that uh to mike ah, albuquerque couldn't live there they got tarantulas and of course we see that in the drew sharp episode i don't even want to think about it but there yeah. is definitely a connection there um we had you know good observation from drew m on twitter uh who the, observed at the beginning of the episode there was a lot of blue light uh certainly and i think an intentional choice i, I think 
sort of in line with what you're saying about a, a kind of a heroic arrival. Um, not blue is not necessarily a classic Western color, although uh, the, uh, Superman, the vistas in the blue skies uh, would play in. And then, yeah, you've got a Superman color. You've got sort of the the color of this this life and, and sky. It's not washed out or anything. And so Mike comes in. He's injured when he comes in. We don't know why. He pulls a classic Mike move where he calls himself a custodian, goes in the women's bathroom picks up uh, some feminine hygiene devices and uh, then takes care of his, his wound and his shoulder. And that's a classic kind of Western hero arrives kind of with a bullet in him already and all that sort of stuff. So uh, that's really great stuff at the beginning and, and not really specifically tied into Breaking Bad, but we saw the, the 38 special, uh, as I mentioned, kind of playing in the bar and that he uses. I know that that's a, a tie back to Breaking Bad as well. Um, I, I'm wondering at what point, because of what we know about Mike and Breaking Bad and what we've seen him do, at what point during this episode were you pretty sure that he was the one who killed Hoffman and Fensky? I, I mean, I'll be honest. I was probably pretty sure from the interrogation, <laughs> you know, uh, because we, we've, I think if we hadn't seen Mike kill people before, if we hadn't seen him work as a henchman for Gus in seasons three and four and have him, you know, participate in a shootout while he's been sitting out in an ice van or like, you know, help, uh, help Gus poison all those people in Mexico. Like maybe I'd be like, Oh, he wouldn't do that. He's Mike. But the fact that we've seen him show that propensity, uh, to just kill someone in cold blood, if, if it helps accomplish the task, made me think like, okay, he definitely, he definitely did it. <laughs> there's, there's no if, ifs, ands, or buts about it. But he's going to get away with it because, again, he's a brilliant man and he's going to figure out a way where he can kind of implicate himself from this situation. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, it's like you, I, for me, it's, it's Mike. So right away, I'm thinking, the only question I have is, did he kill his son too? Like, that's kind of the Mike that we know from Breaking Bad. Like, pretty much anything would was fair game uh, except for Kaylee. So it's like he could have, honestly, I wondered during this episode at certain points, was he kind of a fourth person involved in something with these guys? Maybe he kills his son. I don't know. Like, I honestly wondered that. And if I hadn't seen Breaking Bad, I don't think I would have wondered that. And I do wonder when I would have thought, wow, um, this is, he, he actually might have done this. Because Jimmy's smart enough, right? Jimmy recognizes that the cops, even though they're asking fairly innocuous questions, Jimmy recognizes that the cops think that Mike did it. Yeah, absolutely. Jimmy McGill, good lawyer. Look at that. Good observation skills. Yeah, good lawyer. Kind of guy that you might want to, that you might better call if you have a problem. I'm just happy we got him out of the retirement home for this episode. I, it seems like from the previews that we get him back there playing bingo next time, uh, you know, using one of those uh, long seventies microphones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was happy we were able to kind of pull him out of his, of his newfound glory doing elder law to help him work on this, because I do think that the Jimmy Mike relationship is going to be a key, a key cornerstone of the show as it varies through tones, because this is something that we know will eventually come about. And right now, uh, they're kind of two opposing forces moving in the same direction, if that makes sense in terms of they're working towards a common goal, but they're so different. So I'm excited to see their future collaborations as the rest of season one and season two progresses. Yeah. And I agree. Um, and, and I, I don't know, uh, exactly where we'll go with that, but I definitely, it's something that's on my radar too, that I want to see the rest of the season and, and how it goes, like where it's going to progress because we've only got four episodes left, Mike, and we didn't even do a Chuck check this episode. Well, uh, <laughs> so go, go on. Let's, uh, let's shift gears here. Let's talk a little bit about Chuck because, 
Um, we had we had a great uh, email from Steve Flowers, and we're going to post this link on the show page. Said Chuck is suffering from something called the nocebo effect. I guess those of you who are familiar with the placebo effect, where you believe that you're taking a drug that's curing you and your mere belief that you're taking a drug that's curing you is actually what cures you because you're taking a water pill or something. The nocebo effect, you believe that you're suffering side effects that aren't happening, uh, that are happening because of your brain and not because of something that's actually there. So we're going to post that link on the show page from Steve Flowers. But Chuck has been sort of this this kind of question mark about this series. And I think we've all sort of weighed in on on Chuck throughout these episodes. I know Rob and I do our Chuck check every week, and we've had questions about whether the show has a Chuck problem. Uh, but we had a really good email uh, that I think ties in a little bit to this uh, from Van Scott. And Van wrote, watching the best episode of the season that was so Mike-centric and so little Saul, will the show be able to reach that kind of emotional depth with Saul's character? Do you think Odin Kirk is able to pull it off? And so I want you to, if you can, uh, expound on that a little bit. Uh, and, and we've already talked about some elements of this, uh, but maybe tie in why, why Mike is different, why having an episode with Mike in it is very much different than an episode with Chuck in it. Well, I think, I, I think it goes back to the, the way we first saw these characters. You know, um, I think Saul got developed a little more and he got a little more dramatic stuff to work with throughout Breaking Bad. But for all intents and purposes, the way we, we first saw Saul was the comic relief of the show. You know, he was he was this, the sleazy lawyer that had all the big one liners but disappear like a fart in the wind. You know, though you could always rely on Saul to do that. Mike was a bit of a different story. Mike was a very closed off, silent type. I don't even remember if he spoke in his first appearance. Um, so I think those first impressions leave a lasting impression in your brain. Um, so, you know, I think it's much more fruitful to find out, Oh, Mike is this way, this very silent stone faced way, because he's been holding in all this guilt from him, believing that he kind of led to his son's death through this corrupt police system. Whereas Saul, I think Bob Odenkirk can pull it off. I think you, you guys were talking, I think before the series started about how you were excited about having Bob Odenkirk on, because it's sort of like the sad clown thing. A lot of comedians uh, do really well with the spectrum of emotion. So he could play pathos really well. Um, that being said, I, I think they're, they're laying the groundwork well for watching Jimmy become Saul. But if there's a moment where something really emotional happens in Jimmy's life, I don't know how much I'm going to buy it. You know, like if, I mean, if, if Chuck died, I, maybe it's because of my slight dislike of the Chuck story, but I'd be like, okay, let's, let's move on from that. And I don't know if I'd, if I'd want to see mopey Jimmy, I don't know if I'd want to see Jimmy go into a monologue talking about like, how much he loved his brother and telling a story about what they would do when they were kids. You know, I feel like that's not the Jimmy that we want to see. If that makes sense. I, I'd personally be fine if we didn't get as many wholeheartedly emotional moments from Jimmy, if we saw more so his own characterization slide into this sleazy character. Yeah. Well, that's, it brings up a really good point. We had another excellent email from Ian Rice and Ian said that he couldn't believe how much he disagreed with our assessment of, of the Chuck check uh, because Ian felt that Chuck was Jimmy's conscience. Um, and it's the interactions with Chuck where we see Jimmy being conflicted between being good and slimy uh, and that Chuck ultimately dying because we all think, believe that he will die at some point um, that that will be the death of Jimmy's compassion and responsibility for Chuck because we don't see any of that from Jimmy in Breaking Bad. And I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing Ian's excellent email here. 
Um, I, I think that Ian's thought is that Chuck Dying will, will treat, will drive Jimmy to say, screw the system. Here's a guy who did everything right. Look what the world did to him. Uh, and that that will be the birth of Saul Goodman. If that's what happens, if that's what we get out of the Chuck storyline, are you going to be happy and satisfied with that? If Chuck died? No. Well, in, 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 the, in the death itself is, is what ultimately made him go full Jimmy, made him go full Saul. It, it made him go full Saul. It's, it's ultimately the inciting incident that creates Saul Goodman. We know he's had slipping Jimmy in him. We know we've seen how that kind of comes out in these little scams he's running, whether it's in the desert with Tuco and Nacho or whether it's with a guy on a billboard. He's still got slipping Jimmy in him, but he's also trying to do the right thing. And he definitely seems to want to make Chuck better. He's hiding the newspaper from him. Uh, and so what I'm saying is if when Chuck dies, uh, if he does, uh, if that's what makes Jimmy ultimately say, screw it, I'm Saul Goodman, that's who I am. Is that going to pay off the Chuck storyline for you? Uh, I honestly, maybe not. Uh, I feel like it, it's a little too close to home for me for like Padme and Anakin Skywalker from Star Wars. You know, if we have Jimmy outside a hotel room going no, or a hospital room and going, no, I think that's I think that's a little too close to home. I would say that I think it's I think it's got to be something that involves the larger crime scene in Albuquerque for him to to fully break bad for me to really uh, for me to be happy, you know, because that's that's the the first thing that we know him as again it's like this sleazy guy that works that represents the the criminal underbelly of albuquerque and is able to to kind of get them off scot-free and i i personally think that's where the nacho thread is going to lead us you know whether it's a, it's a situation where uh he has to kind of implicate nacho or tuco or somebody um and you know or if he if he's, I don't know, if he watches one of his friends go down or if he watches uh, somebody get, get, if not, Tuco kills Nacho, I think that might be a moment where he realizes like, okay, this is a, this is an environment that I have to dive into. I, I, I don't know if, unless Chuck says on his deathbed, like, <laughs> well, Jimmy, it's because you did, you helped out all these, uh, you did all, ran all these scams that I'm dying. Then, then that might affect it. But I mean, I think it's sort of like, this is just kind of an extra burden that he has to work with. And it's an, it's something that he, it's a weight he has to kind of carry with him. Um, and he could shake it off a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be, I wouldn't call that the catalyst for him to be like, all right, now I'm going to be Saul Goodman. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, Susan Appleby, I think rightly observes that we're a little too hard on Chuck because I do think like Susan uh, is sharing in the chat room that it's a very sad story. Uh, and I think this ties in a little bit to what you observed about this episode, Mike, which is that tonally uh, the show is, is sort of kind of, of, of multiple pieces. And I think that the story that it's telling with Chuck is a, is a sadder story than what we're getting a lot of with Jimmy outside of the Chuck realm. Chuck is obviously a very sad story. There is some, some danger going on with the firm. I don't know what kind of screws they're putting on him. They do seem to be taking advantage of him at the very least, taking advantage of his name and not wanting to kind of reveal the situation that he's in. Uh, and so a, a great kind of payoff to that would be maybe Jimmy really exacting revenge on that firm in the name of Chuck, maybe with Chuck's blessing at some point. I don't know where we're going to end up with that. But I bring this up because I, I found one of the most, I mean, first of all, I thought tonight's episode, which we're we're not really talking a ton about right now was incredible, but I thought one of the most interesting moments ties into this, which is when Mike says to, when, when, when Jimmy wants to know, he asks Mike, how did you know I would do that? Like, how did you know that when you called me, I would spill the coffee? Uh, and Mike just kind of laughs at him. 
And I, I mean, I ha- like I just to me, it says like, OK, you can hide. You can try to hide who you are. You can pretend that you're somebody who wouldn't do that. You can say you're going to take the high road. You can tell me in the room you're not going to do the Juan Valdez uh, dump or, you know, bump and dump. But at the end of the day, you're 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 Saul Goodman, like you're slipping Jimmy. You're not James McGill, the upstanding like uh, elder lawyer. You're 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 kind of a skeezy, sleazy kind of guy. And I don't think you can hide from that if you're Jimmy McGill. And I feel like there's a lot in this series of people telling Jimmy McGill, that's who you are. Nacho did the same thing. Nacho told him, like, hey, when you realize you're in the game, you give me a call. Uh, The Kettlemans think he's kind of a a sleazy kind of lawyer people hire when they're guilty. Uh, And it's only Chuck that's really telling him that he's anything different, that he can be something Mm -hmm. better. Uh, And so I do find that dichotomy interesting. And I think it reared its head again this week when Jimmy's question was posed to to Mike, like, what, why do you think, uh, why did you think I would do that? Why did you think that I would, I would screw the cops over and help you screw police over? And I think that Jimmy McGill can't really hide from his true character. And and I feel like even though we got just a little bit of Jimmy in this episode, I, I feel like that's kind of the point of it. I don't know. Did you, I mean, did you take anything away from that scene with, uh, with Jimmy and Mike in the car? Small tangent, I think Bump and Dump is the theme song to Tony the Talking Toilet. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Mike. The theme song. Oh, you're such a big boy, Mike. I didn't take as much out of the scene as you did, but I could definitely see that. And it, it sort of ties back to this whole theme of like, you know, no matter, you know, you really can't fight your image. You know, you can't fight. I don't want to use the term destiny, but you really can't fight what you're good at and what you're supposed to be. And I, uh, Jimmy has tried his best to be as he, as the one episode uh, titles it hero, you know, he tries to, he tries to really give off the image of this valiant lawyers who can get the big clients, but some, at some point he's going to realize, no, the, the people I want to represent are the, are the, the, the not so good people in this world. And that's okay. Um, so th- there's gotta be a moment when he does that. And I think I, I would agree with that, that, that Mike's comment kind of ties tonally is this whole idea of like, Jimmy thinks he's one thing and everyone else thinks he's another thing. Uh, and I think we're going to see more of that. Kim might be the only person that sees him as the thing that Jimmy sees himself as, but uh, we'll, we'll probably see more examples of that as the series progresses. Yeah. Their relationship. I, I definitely think that's a, that's a really good, good way to flag that uh, because I think their relationship is sort of a barometer for for where for where Jimmy really is, because to Chuck, he's trying to be upstanding and and moral and good. And to some of his clients, uh, he's trying to trying to lie or represent a different face. Uh, and in other instances with like with the twins, uh, the brothers, um, he's saying, hey, I'm a total scumbag. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, but but I think with Kim, I think we see more of maybe uh, what he's really aspirational or what he's really doing there. There seems to be some realism there from the fir- from the first moment we see the two of them together when he kind of takes the cigarette out and she knows him and says, he says something like, can't you? And she says, no. So I think we should flag that. Um, and I, and I think that, uh, I think that we, you know, we're, we're kind of weighing in, uh, on, on exactly what Jimmy is. And I think that this show, the reason, part of the reason why we're tonally all over the map is because, I think Jimmy McGill is all over the map. He's trying to find himself just as the show tries to find itself. Uh, and so I do think we see representations of that. Some funny stuff with clients, some serious stuff with clients, some dirty stuff with clients, some scary stuff with clients. I think as we find our way through that, we're seeing multiple different tones because he's trying different faces on. And so I think that's a big part of it. Um, and like I said, you can have that show uh, and you can deliver an episode like this tonight where you've got 
totally tonally different, even though he pops in in his standard comic relief role that we've seen him be in another show and we don't get a ton of depth. You can still twist the knife just a little bit in that moment in the car, uh, which I think was a really important moment in the context of this series as a greater, you know, as a greater whole. Uh, yeah, we got a great backstory. I mean, this is an episode that's almost reading like Breaking Bad fanfic where we've got yeah. Mike, what's his backstory? Let's write it. Let's throw Saul Goodman in there because that would be fun. Uh, and then and then we'll, we'll really show what, what Mike was like before Breaking Bad. But I think the throw the throw Jim McGill was done with just a deft enough twist that I think this 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 episode really did tie into the overall prime storyline of the season, which we've really been talking about throughout the course of it. I, I do want to shift gears a little bit here and really talk about um, the monologue that uh, Jonathan Banks delivers at the end of this. I know right. we talked about I know we talked about how we couldn't see this monologue really happening uh, from Mike and Breaking Bad, and that's sort of the most powerful thing about it. Um, but I mean, do you feel like this is this is true, Mike, like this is who Mike really is at his core and that behind everything that we saw in Breaking Bad, this is always there? I, I again, I would say that this is Mike. I wouldn't say this is Mike normally. I would, I would not say that Mike is a is a very emotional person in general. But I think, again, I'm going to make the comparison to Walter White that I think for him, family is where he draws the line. Um, and I, I might disagree with you on your on your theory that maybe he killed Matt because I think. Oh yeah, I Mike don't think was, I don't think that he did. I did think that he did when we were watching the episode. I don't. Okay. Think that, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say that I, I think that's that, that's kind of his weak spot, and we see that with Kaylee too. That like he, I think one of the reasons why he ends up sticking with Walter White is that uh, he kind of shares his at the time values of valuing family above everything. Um, so I think, you know, this is, this is his Achilles heel a little bit. I, I don't know if his personality was completely different before this situation happened. I still feel like he was kind of this grisly cop. Uh, probably didn't have too much of a sense, sense of humor to him. Probably maybe smiled a little bit, probably around his son. Uh, we're still not entirely sure what their relationship was other than like that one story, the one monologue of talking about how Matt looked up to him, but we really didn't get a sense of their relationship at all, or, or even the relationship with Mike's, I'm assuming now deceased wife or now divorced wife, um, which I think is another interesting aspect that we could explore. But I will say that it's, I think this is Mike's, tr this is Mike's heart. I think this is a perfect representation of what Mike's heart is feeling. What seems to be constantly at the time, which is just constant guilt and constant, you know, he's the, the heartbeat of everything he does is this idea that it, that he has basically, in a manner of speaking, kind of killed his son through his actions and through kind of pushing him into this these these this dark world. Um, and he has to he has to live with that. I love that closing quote of like, you know, you, you have you have to live with it when talking to Stacy about killing the two cops, uh, because that's that's the the pain that Mike carries every single day. So I'm not sure if this was completely normal mike i think this was a rare exposed mike i don't think he's going to change his personality whatsoever after this but it's it's always a good opportunity to see kind of what's what's inside the uh the safely guarded vault at fort knox if that yeah. makes sense no it makes perfect sense because i i do think that i think where we see it most uh in the breaking bad timeline with mike is how he treats kaylee and what he does with her and how much he loves her and and I don't know how much of that is 
this is the this is the remnant of my son. This is the remnant of of what what my lineage is. Like this was produced by my son, and and I love this child in part because I feel like I should have not ever lost my son, and I feel responsible for that. So I do think that we see a little bit of that in Breaking Bad via how Mike really dotes on Kaylee. Not that we didn't see it here, uh, but we we do see a little bit of that uh, in how that plays out. Um, so I think that that's uh, I think that that's all, all all definitely part of it, and and it's difficult to say um, how much of this Mike was still carrying with him in Breaking Bad because we do have that great last line: "You have to learn to live with it." And I think he's not just talking about the fact that he killed the cops. It's, that he killed his own son, that he broke his boy, that he feels responsible, that he feels like he could have done more. You have to learn to live with it. And when we see Mike six, seven, eight years later in the Breaking Bad timeline, what we see is a guy who's just beaten down and sad. And I, and I, might, I might point out his job here in, Breaking, in Better Call Saul, he's working in that, in that booth. And I think he's, it's sort of his little purgatory. Like it's sort of his little uh, penance that he has to pay for, for what he feels are the things that he's done in the past. He's got this kind of horrible job. And by the way, is it the worst move ever that Saul walks into that interrogation room, having been called by an actual real life client and breaks his balls and says, what about the stickers? It's terrible. Saul's, Saul's just focused on those stickers because the stickers have been plaguing him. And I mean, that's the, that's the thing that, that the relationship is based on. You know, it's, it's like you got to bring it up in a conversation to get the conversation going. So maybe he thought the stickers would be a good talking point. Yeah, maybe. Um, and and there's a great moment in that scene, too, that we see the sugar kind of going into the coffee cup. And all I'm thinking about is stevia. Uh, there's just so many good little callbacks in that moment. But but I just, you know, as we talk about how, can Jimmy change his, his inner nature or not, he's walking in the door breaking balls and a client that just hired him. And it's this pretty tough old guy. Bad idea. Just a yeah. bad idea. I'm, I'm telling you, as a lawyer, it's a bad idea. You don't want to insult your client when you walk in the door. Yeah, this is, uh, I think he's got a little bit of a hot streak to him now that he's working elder law. But if he flies too close to the sun, Jimmy, uh, your wings will melt off soon enough. Yes, Jimmy Icarus, it will happen. And But yet again, the, the hot coffee spill does go down. Mike's right. The the pump and dump or the dump and whatever. What is it? The, what is it? It's a, it's a bump and dump. Bump and dump, uh, yeah. Bump and dump happens. I mean, I know that's going to be the hashtag, bump and dump. But, bump and dump. But the, <laughs> I'm not sure. And that, thank God, hashtags don't have tones of voice. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, that all happens. We get a Huel-esque pat down where the notebook is removed. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that I picked up on this. I, I'm hoping everyone did. The, the whole point of Mike getting the notebook, right, is that he wants to know exactly what the cops know about the situation, what evidence they have on him. Yeah, exactly. And I, from what we saw from the few pages, I think I, I caught like a timeline uh, basically, I don't, did you catch anything else from him flipping through the notebook? I did on the AMC Story Sync thing, which you can pull up while the episode is airing live and watch on your iPad. They actually had screenshots of each of the pages, uh, and they basically had the crime pretty much pegged. Like a uh, gun was missing, clip uh, the the file, the shot. You know, this guy wasn't didn't have this, and there was another gun there. There was no blood spatter, so maybe the guy was wearing a vest or got hit in the shoulder. So they knew that Mike had been shot because they couldn't find the bullet. Um, and, and the evidence was in there that Stacy had called them. Uh, and I think she called them because she found the money uh, is, is why that ultimately happened. So her motivation was pure um, that, that, you know, she had a, a good reason for doing it. She just wanted to see who killed her husband. But Mike was really upset about that, obviously. But they had some pretty good info in that notebook that, that pretty clearly spelled out exactly how the crime went down. 
Uh, that said, I mean, were you, were you, I mean, the whole time Mike's setting it up, I'm like, this is premeditated. Like this is murder one. He's, I already sold my car. I'm moving to Albuquerque tomorrow. He'd already gotten into the cop's car with that piece of twine and yep. kind of unlocked the door and thrown that throwdown weapon in there so that when they took his piece off of him, uh, he would still have another gun to go to. Uh, that all played out exactly how he intended. This is exactly what he was faking. I think how drunk he was like yep. this all went down exactly how he intended. Uh, and that's definitely murder in the first. Uh, and he needs some of the level of Saul Goodman to get you out of that. Yeah. And I, I, I love that. Uh, you know, last week we got MacGyver. Um, last week we got Matlock this week. We got a little bit of MacGyver. Uh, it's a, it's a good, good references for the older crowd of better call Saul. They're, they're loving all the references that are going on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a reference uh, in this episode, I think, uh, to uh, to some Al Pacino Godfather action. Uh, yeah, and, with, uh, and a reference to the Andy Griffith show, too. And a reference to the Andy Griffith show and Matlock, of course. Uh, so, I mean, the, the, this this series in particular is doing a lot of references to films. Uh, Saul's usually quoting movies. Uh, and in this case, I think Joe P. rightly observed on Twitter uh, that the I know it was you might have been an obvious nod to Pacino and Godfather. I don't think that's definitely a, a good connection there. So yeah, this all this all played out, uh, and I feel I feel pretty good about it. Um, do you have any Do you have any other observations you want to get into the questions? Let's uh, Let's jump into some questions because I'm sure these guys have lots of observations as well. Yeah, the inimitable Scott St. Pierre is behind the glass. He's going to fire up the questions for us now. As As always, you can always tweet your your questions to us on Twitter just using the hashtag PS Recap. Uh, PS recaps, sorry, and we'll we'll take them live on the show here. First one is from Jason Riotmaker. Jason just wants to know, hey Mike, you know any good vets? Uh yeah, I got some I got some good ones. Uh, a lot of dogs, though. A lot of dogs. So if you don't like dogs, don't go to him. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought Jason Riotmaker was referring to uh, people who'd served in the Vietnam War. Uh well, I mean, if you go out onto, I know a lot of street corners where they might where they might be, unfortunately. Wow. Hit a little too close to home in America, there, Mike Bloom. <laughs> All right, the great Johnny D. Silvera. The next question here is: I assume Mike got Jimmy out of the parking lot for free uh, because we didn't see stickers. Is this a hashtag employee discount? Hashtag five stickers. What do you think? Do you think that uh, Mike just kind of yeah yeah go ahead, just kind of waved his hand and let him, and then they drove out together? Uh, to, to let him out of the courtroom parking lot. Yeah, yeah, because they were in the the court. They were in the police the precinct together there. Or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess. Well, who? Let's just bring up the better question. So when Mike got arrested, who subbed for him in the in the parking in the in the booth? So toll booth Willie, maybe. I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> I want to find out who's the who is on call to fill in for the uh, to fill in for Mike in the booth because there must I, there must there must be another employee there. There's got to be another employee there. Mike, my working theory: Rob Sesternino. That's why he's not here. He's working the booth right now. He's is working this, the booth right now. Is, is this going to be like a, a Huel-esque shot of I him just sitting see, in the booth ra- waiting? <laughs> we're never going to see Rob again. He's just waiting in that booth for Mike to show back up. Oh, no. Well, he's going to have he's going to wait a long while. <laughs> All right. So um, why don't you can, you can you get the next one? Sure. Let me just grab it. Here we go. Uh, Darth Zeroni says, I uh, got to say, I like the Mike backstory episode. It was a good change of pace. Yeah, this is my man, Jason Burning. Jason was in the chat room with us earlier tonight. And I, this is a, I think this is a good, good observation. So for those uh, like you, Mike, who feel like the show maybe is a uh, tonally uh, sort of dissonant and kind of jumping around uh, some people like the change of pace. And I think that's valid. I think that, like I said, I, the, the only problem that I have with that is, is that this is, 
This is a kind of a, a if we had a 38 uh, special, this is a bullet that you keep in the gun and you can't just keep firing it. You cannot have episodes that trade this much off of Breaking Bad that give us this much exposition about an existing character. Uh, so you can probably have one of these a season. Uh, yeah. And so it's a nice change of pace, but we're not, this is not what the show is. It's a show that can give us this once a season, but it's not like Better Call Saul Prime. That's not what the show is. Ultimately, it's, it's just a show that can give us this sometimes. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. It's, um, it's, uh, I, uh, listen, I'm, I've, I've been enjoying the changes in tone. I've never not enjoyed an episode of the show. I just wanted to point out that it, it, like all first seasons, as you pointed out, I think it just has a difficult time finding its ground. I would argue that, yeah, this is probably the, I'd say this is definitely in line with like episode two as the best episodes of the series thus far. Um, I, I'll put the two in in line with each other because again, this is so different from the rest of the series that if I want to pick an episode that has represented the series thus far, I'm going to pick episode two because it kind of had everything you wanted in it. But this be saying episode six is sensational. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm totally simpatico with you, Mike. I, I think that this is the best episode of the series that I've watched but I don't think it's necessarily the most representative episode of the series. And so I think we have to wait and see how the rest of the season and all of its O ending episode titles play out before we can say for certain exactly what kind of show this is. And, and like I said, if it's just a show that can give us one of these uh, every season, if we later get one about Huel or Kubi, or maybe we get one with a lot more about Gus or, uh, or, or Tuco or some of these other characters, fantastic. Like this is a, a rare show that can give us that, but they're, I think they're careful not to trade too much on that because the show isn't just that. Uh, and I think that the show has succeeded, as you point out, with episode two on its own, even though, again, that is trading a little bit on uh, the, the characters that we know from the Breaking Bad universe. I think introducing Nacho is the right way to go. I'm looking forward to the next time we'll see Nacho again. And in the same vein, Jason Ryanmaker's question is, did Better Call Saul just break bad? Uh, so do you think, Mike, that the tone's going to be different from here on out or is this sort of just a blip? I think it's a blip, um, considering that, I mean, again, we have to go back to who Jimmy is as a character. And we, we even saw points of, of him in this episode was still kind of, as you talked about before, his kind of slippery comic persona. I, I don't think there's going to be a swing and tone now to make it more serious. I think that I believe in, in interviews, Vince Gilligan said that there would definitely be moments like that, but it's not going to be it's not going to be Breaking Bad, too. You know, and that, I don't think that's what they want it to be. Um, so I think there's there'll definitely be glimpses of it. And I think they'll, you know, obviously we're, we're going to start diving into a very dark scene in Albuquerque. So there, of course, will be references to that. But I still think we're going to get some Jimmy McGill stuff because that's what we came for is to see Saul Goodman become Saul Goodman. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, and I, I think that we, you know, the show's not doing itself any service or any favors if, if it's not that. Um, but I do think that... Uh, that when, when we trade on this, we get a lot done and we, we impress a lot of people. Uh, and I guess in that vein, uh, the great Zach Brooks, if you're not listening, Zach and Rob have been going through House of Cards season three, talking about everything crazy that Frank Underwood gets up to. You can find that on the show page here at Post Show Recaps. Uh, definitely check out their House of Cards uh, podcast if you're listening or watching that show. Uh, fun times with Frank Underwood and Claire. But Zach wants to know, great performance by Jonathan Banks, huh? Best we've seen from Mike between Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Is this the best we've seen from Jonathan Banks? Yeah, I I would argue so. I think this is, I mean, these are always the actor's media scenes, you know, to be like, oh, great. I have a scene where I just get to, to, to tell a story, but I'm confessing something and there's so much emotion and backstory going on. And I mean, this is this is the best work I've seen him do on the show. Um, I did love, I mean, I, I loved this, the, in particular in Breaking Bad, 
spoiler alert, his death scene was, I thought was, it was a lot of fun. Um, even though it was just, you know, I think it was like, just let me F and die. Uh, I thought it was still perfect delivery from him, but this is, this is a moment where we've really seen Mike speak for like more than like a minute at a time. And that's something we rarely see. Uh, and that being said, Jonathan Banks just took it and ran with, ran to the bank with it, you know? And I, I, I always love those moments when you when you expect an actor to behave a certain way and they get this opportunity to do something that completely defies any expectations you had of them. And that's what I had with Jonathan Banks. So to see him do this was was really fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a great observation because I don't know that we Jonathan Banks in community. He's, he plays a little comedy, but the comedy comes from his sort of intensity and what we saw from him in Breaking Bad. So to see this shade of Jonathan Banks in Better Call Saul is a real treat for me as well. Well, why don't you take this next question, Mike? Sure, from uh, Spicy Wasabi. So much hype for episode six. Was it too much hype? So I guess this is a, a good point. I know you guys talked about it as well. Um, and I don't like Dalton Ross talked about how like episode six, fantastic episode. I, I don't know. Did anyone call it a game changer? Because I'd say it's a fantastic episode. I don't know if I call it a game changer, though. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a game changer, uh, but I mean, I, this is a fantastic episode, and I think mainly uh, for the reasons that, that Zach and uh, others have observed, uh, I just think that the Jonathan Banks performance really sets this out. It's not that Michael McKean uh, and, and, and Bob Odenkirk and others on the show uh, have not been great, uh, because they certainly have. Uh, it's just this is something we just, as we were just talking about we haven't always seen from Jonathan Banks and to know that he's got, I mean, the, the, for, as far as I'm concerned, this guy, if I'm his agent, I'm just, I'm just setting my phone up and I'm just waiting because like, uh, like Jimmy McGill, I'm really focusing because I'm going to get a whole, I'm going to have seven voicemails when I wake up in the morning saying we need this guy in, in our next project because for him to show that versatility that he hasn't shown before, uh, I think that there couldn't be enough hype for me to deliver on that realm. Uh, as far as changing the, the scope of the series, no, uh, it's nothing narratively uh, that really is so dramatic that I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what have I been watching? But I mean, it really it really hit on all cylinders other than other than advancing the story of Better Call Saul. So I can see where some spicy wasabi perhaps included might be let down that we didn't get that. Uh, but uh, but we don't have that. Um, the next <laughs> the next comment uh, is from Packard Walsh. Sir Pounce it says that I'm the Kevin Steen of podcasts. I don't know. That's to reference. It's going to go over probably the majority of people's heads, but Kevin Steen is a wrestler. Mike, are you a fan of wrestling in any way? No, uh, the, the town I, I used to, I came from actually is about 20 minutes from Stanford, Connecticut, which is the, where the big WWE headquarters. Sure. But I have no, uh, I have no part in that, but I guess I'll make, I'll, I'll uh, make up for it by saying, Sir Pounce, we, we will miss you on, on game of Thrones and, uh, you, you will be remembered. You will be avenged. Ours is the fury, Mike. Ours is the fury. Well, that's what I, maybe we'll save this question for Rob Cesternino because we had a question from Jason Weatherholtz. It's been pending about whether Saul Goodman would be the greatest WWE manager of all times. I don't know. Have you ever, uh, do you, have you observed the wrestling manager, Mike? Uh, Vince McMahon. Is he one of those guys? No, no, because I think that you would have a particular, uh, I think you would have a particular appreciation for wrestling managers because they're sort of, Commedia dell'art, they're kind of clowns. There's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of big gestures that they're doing to really involve the crowd. They're usually a kind of a smarmy, uh, sort of slimy person, whether they're a male or a woman, uh, who really is, their job is to get the crowd interested and involved with the person that's in the ring and, and get their emotions kind of pumping for better or for worse. 
And Saul would certainly be a guy who could really pull off that slickness. There's been a lot of guys like he reminds me the most uh, of Paul Heyman. Uh, I think uh, I'd like to be a Saul Goodman guy. I can let me just leave it at that. All right. Well, maybe if you and Jason send me some some managers to look at, I'll see if I can check out their scope of work. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's good. Uh, and I think that on that note, checking out scope of work of wrestling managers, I think we've cycled through all the questions I want to hit tonight. I don't know. Did you um, did you have any questions on Twitter or anything else that you wanted to address, Mike, before we kind of wrap this up? Uh, just checking through things quickly. No, I think we uh, I think we summed up a lot of what what happened on the show. I'm again, I'm, I'm excited to for next week not to spoil too, too much. Uh, but it seems like we're, we're going back to Jimmy. Obviously, um, I don't know if I'll actually if we'll get some Mike in the next episode, which should be interesting. It'll be interesting to see him take a break. Um, but I, I, I really love this episode. I loved coming on to talk with you about this. I'm excited to see some more Elder Law stuff. Uh, I want, I want to play some bingo. Well, I, I do too. And so I've got actually one final question. This is a good one to end on. It's from Buddha Ben, uh, Ben Fredette on Twitter. And um, Buddha asks, uh, if you had to imagine the season one finale right now, Mike Bloom, I'm putting you on the spot. Okay. What do you picture happening in the episode and what's the final scene? I would say uh, the the I would say the the ending of the penultimate episode is uh, Tuco kills Nacho, and then the episode ten features is just uh, all on the uh, is completely in the courthouse is Saul's last stand defense to get acquit uh, Tuco and he's successful and that is his first step into this dark, dark world and in becoming this lawyer who defends guilty people. And I think that would be a, that would be a fun way to end it and still leave things open for, for what's to come. All right. All right. I like it. I like it. I think that if I had to answer that question, I'd say the last, uh, the last scene is probably, uh, that's a good question. Is it, is it going to be something that's more poetic or is it going to be something that, uh, that, uh, is, is more of a cliffhanger that leaves you really wanting more Saul because, they know the show's already been renewed. They knew it when they started writing episode one uh, or rewriting episode one, I should say. So they know they've already got a second season. So there's no need to really build some great cliffhanger that's going to really want people to, to you know, get tuned in and all that. That said, I feel like they that's sort of a Vince Gilligan kind of thing. We've got a kind of a mix where we've got gut punches at the end of certain Breaking Bad seasons uh, and certain other ones don't end with those same gut punches. So if I had to guess, I would say... Uh, it's going to be something that the, the season one finale in terms of the episode, I think Chuck, um, I think Chuck really loses it. I think Chuck gets committed and I think Jimmy has to struggle with that tough decision to get Chuck committed. And I think that part of his decision to do that really involves him getting something, getting going with Hamlin. And I think, I, I think Tuco and Nacho will be involved with Jimmy at this point. Maybe not Tuco, but definitely Nacho. And I think that's going to push Jimmy in a, in a darker direction. And I think ultimately we're going to see Jimmy with Chuck kind of committed, um, doing something really horrible with Hamlin and really kind of getting, getting dirty, maybe, maybe putting a hit out on Hamlin, getting really, getting his hands really dirty. Uh, and I think that's ultimately um, where we're going to end this. And so the final scene, maybe Jimmy with Chuck in a hospital room and Chuck's just totally out of it, medicated out. And Jimmy's just kind of standing there looking over him like, what have I wrought? So that's what I think maybe would happen. We'd love to hear from you guys about what you guys think would happen in the final episode of this season, where we're going to, because that'll be a good kind of signpost as we follow along. Uh, so please leave us some comments uh, on, on this show page. Uh, tweet at us. You can also, as always, send your longer form emails 
to Better Call Saul at postshowrecaps.com. We'd love to take those. We had some great ones that we covered tonight. I uh, certainly want to thank everybody for participating in the chat room. Thanks, Scott St. Pierre, as always. And, Mike, special thanks to you for pinch hitting at the last moment here for Rob and, and jumping in and, and talking about some Better Call Saul with us. Um, I'm, I'm always grateful to come, to come on and talk to you, Antonio Mazzaro. Oh, we're ending each uh, name and O. My, my parents must have uh, been Vince Gilligan is what you're saying. So what's, no, our, hash- what's yeah. our hashtag? What's our hashtag? Bump and dump. Bump, right. bump and dump. <laughs> Just one bump and dump, please. Uh, if you're, so if you listen all the way to the end of this podcast or you followed along in the chat room, give Mike uh, Bloom at Mike, uh, a, at a Mike Bloom type or me at AC Mazzaro, two C's, one R. Um, give us a tweet that uses the hashtag uh, bump and dump. Uh, and we'll know that uh, you participated and, and could somehow bring yourself to put that into writing. Otherwise, uh, thank you guys very much, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye.